0: Yeah, way to go. If you, uh, you made it through Leviticus, and, uh, you know, congratulations. Uh, I'm proud of you for doing it. And um, if you're new here today, and, or, you, or you haven't, you've been been here, but you've said, I don't know if I want to do 365. I'm not sure I want to read through the Bible. Uh, and uh, But you've been going, like, you know, I think I want to. You know, I, I, especially if you've been here for a bit and you've been a little hesitant. I mean, we're done with Leviticus, so this is like a great ramp on time. If uh, though, though, Numbers, uh, you know, a lot of numbers, but uh, it's a it's a it's a great book. But I, I encourage you, uh, go online, uh, Brookside's website, and you can uh, 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 click on 365, the icon for that, and you can find out everything you need to know about doing this. And again, our our the big goal with all of this. Is not simply to read through the Bible, but to 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 read it every day, so that we're giving God the opportunity to guide us and strengthen us, and uh, making the best and right choices for our life, and really God giving us the desire to uh, make those kind of kind of choices. And I've got to tell you, I I I have never enjoyed reading the Book of Leviticus this time around, and uh, I I have. I've read it many times. I mean, going all the way back to when I was a kid. The first time I read the book, I uh, uh, read through the Bible was when I was nine years old. When I when I read the Book of Leviticus and a lot of the other books and especially the Old Testament, I'm like, what is this about? You know. But I I we had this thing where you could check off every day, and my you know my whole deal was check it off. And and um, but uh, I have I have really enjoyed it. And uh, right now, some of you might be. Thinking to yourself, really, Steve, you enjoyed it. I didn't even—I didn't think it was possible to put the word "enjoy" in the same sentence with the book, with you know, with Leviticus. It seems like an oxymoron to even say that—that kind of a thing. But—but I have. And um, in fact, uh, one of the guys in our small group sent a text out to everybody the day that he read the the uh, 15th chapter. It was on February 5th. Chapter 14 and 15. And he sent a text out to, to all of us saying, I want, you know, what are the chances? You know, do you know what that 15 chapter is about. Remember that? It's, a, it's about all the physical discharges and that kind of stuff. It's just great reading, you know? And, and uh, it's like, <laughs> enough already. And, uh, and uh, But he sent a text out and he said, What are the chances that anybody had a journal entry from chapter 15? And uh, one guy said, Yeah, it's the first time I did my entry from the book of Psalms, you know. But honestly, um, I really did get something out of that 15th chapter, and I was probably more surprised than anybody else. And uh, it came right down to the last, the very last verse of that of that chapter, where God gave the reason for all the commands and all the rules that he, he was giving to the people of Israel. So I, I want to show you this. it's It's really pretty cool. He said, God said, you must keep the Israelites, he's talking to Moses, you must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean so that they they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place which is among them. Remember, Jeff showed us a picture of it last week. What was God's dwelling place? What was the name of it? Tabernacle, right? And the whole point of all of this, why God said that He sh- to Moses that He should tell the people this, is that it's dangerous. It's dangerous to be in the presence of a holy God. You know, I think sometimes we're we're way too cavalier when we think about the holiness of God, and we got to understand that. The people of Israel needed to offer these sacrifices. They they needed, you know, to, so that they they would have forgiveness for their sin. And they they needed to be real serious about living a holy life and follow these commands. Because if they didn't do that, and and God is in in the tabernacle, His dwelling's there. Man, they're they're just going to get destroyed by being in the presence of God. You know, so, I mean, the grace of God just shines in that in that statement and really in all of the book of Leviticus, because God makes a way for us to be able to be in his presence. And, but here's the cool thing for me, too, when I read that, and here's the, here's the value of connecting Scripture with Scripture. Right away, the Holy Spirit just triggered a verse in my mind from the New Testament, what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And I love this because you, you connect this together. He said, he said, do you not know that your body is a temple or tabernacle of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And then look at this. Therefore, honor God with your body. In other words, live a holy life, be a holy person. And so, what was true for the people of Israel back then is equally true for us today. God does this. In fact, God, it's even more amazing. Uh, God doesn't simply dwell in a tabernacle over here, but when we trust in Jesus Christ, God comes to live within us by, by his Holy Spirit. And what was true for the Israelites should be true for us. Because that's true, you and I should want to live holy lives, lives that honor God. In fact, God makes a statement that he repeats over and over throughout the book of Leviticus, a statement that's also repeatedly made in the New Testament. And God said this, I'm the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself, dedicate yourself because of this, and be holy. Be holy because I'm holy. I'm the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. And Peter, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years later, Apostle Peter wrote this in In 1 Peter chapter 1, he said, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And then he quoted from the book of Leviticus. You see, Peter even read Leviticus. He said, be holy because I am holy. That's God saying. So here's the deal. Everything God tells the Israelites to do and not do provided the clarity they they needed on, on what it means to live a holy life. And so you read a book like Leviticus and you, one of the things you discover is that it's loaded with commands. It's loaded with commands. You know, uh, for Jeff and I, uh, one of the challenges of, of doing this series, 365, where we're preaching through the Bible, one of the challenges for us is to, is to identify what's the most important to, to emphasize from each book of Scripture that we preach out of on a, On on Sunday morning when we're together with all of you and you know last Sunday uh, uh, Jeff really nailed it when he when he showed us how the book of Leviticus provides that the answer that we all need and that is how it's possible for us to be brought into a right relationship with God how it's possible for us to be to be made holy and that is I mean that every single one of the, of the sacrifices that were offered that's described for us in the book of Leviticus, every single one of those sacrifices pointed to the sacrifice of, of, our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, of God's Son, he came to this earth and offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. So the book of Leviticus is just filled with the grace of God. Well, this morning, I'd like to look at one example Out of all the commands that were given, I want to look at one example of living this holy life that we've been given, all right? Living the holy life that we've been given. God God has made us holy as we've trusted in his son. We've been brought into a right relationship with God, but then it's living out this, this life. It's a final command that God gave in the book of Leviticus. You find it in the very last chapter, in the very last verses of that chapter. And it's God's command to give him a tithe, the first tenth of everything that we earn. So here's what God said in, in two of the five final verses in Leviticus chapter 27, last chapter. The Lord said to Moses, I speak to the Israelites and say to them, a tithe of everything from the land whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord, it is holy to the Lord. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. Now, the reason I um, picked this command is because of a, a request that someone made of me last year. In fact, at the end of one of our worship services, they came up to me and they said, "You know, knowing that that next year, which is now this year, it's going to be your last year as Brooks, Brookside's lead pastor, it, w- it would be really good if if you would uh, do a series of sermons where you would unpack what you believe is most important for us as followers of Christ." What? What 40 years of ministry have taught you is absolutely critical for us to grow in our relationship with God and really be able to, to live to the fullest extent possible the lives that God calls us to live. And, I, and so I thought about that quite a bit. It was a great thing to put in front of me. And it's why I finished last year uh, with a sermon, the, the set of sermons that we did from the book of Daniel. Where I where I really unpack what I what I believe is one of those things that I think is absolutely critical for us, and that is to prepare ourselves for the for the hard that the the hard times that are that are really I, I, it almost seems like it, it's impossible that they wouldn't happen to us as we look at at a world that's increasingly hostile toward Christianity. And so I talked about the whole thing of preparing ourselves for hard times. Now this morning, I want to talk to you about tithing, because what I've learned through these years of ministry, and I am just, I am absolutely convinced of this after all of these years of working with people, is that getting this thing of tithing right in our lives is absolutely essential for our own spiritual growth, and if we don't do it, it's just going to stunt our growth. We'll only grow to a certain point spiritually. It is, a, it, is a, it is absolutely a core spiritual issue for all of us. It's not something we can say, well, I'm, I'm going to be dismissive about this. It's just, it's just one option that I have a right or, you know, to choose or not to choose. It's, it's not that way at all. It is a core spiritual issue for all of us. It's one that we cannot ignore. Now, let me just say this. Um, let me, give me a drink here. Um, If you're here today, all right and and um the verdict's still out for you. you haven't landed yet and what you believe about God and faith, in fact, you might even say i don't even I don't even know if there is a god i what i what I would like you to do to feel very free to do is just tune me out okay or 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 I would say this i would I would love if you would. Hang with me and listen to what I, what I have to say because I think you might find some value in it. But I just want you to know that who I'm primarily talking to this morning is those of us who have made the decision to follow Jesus Christ as our Savior and as Lord in, of our lives. So just want to say that, okay, uh, for every one of us this morning. For, okay? and, and if you're here today and, and you are a follower of Christ... And your first feeling inside of yourself as you're hearing me get into this is say, "I don't want to hear this." okay? Uh, for whatever reason, what I encourage you to what I'm going to ask you to do is just give me grace and, and hear what I have to say this morning. okay? Now, what I think for every one of us, wherever we're at on our spiritual journey, I think it's true that we all respect the person who's generous, who's living a life of generosity. We, we applaud their generosity. I mean, just, just this last week, in fact, I'm, I, I wish I would have, it was just a couple nights ago, I wish I would have had time or thought of showing this on this morning. But NBC News did a segment on this couple uh, living in California, very generous. And uh, with what they decided to do with the money that God had given to them. And, uh, uh, I mean, NBC News showed this because they're so impressed with the generosity of this couple. In fact, I'm, I'll mention it later. But let me, let me just say this. Uh, you want to watch this. And what you could do is go home today, Google, not now, Google on your phone. And, uh, and just uh, NBC News, generous couple. And it'll come up. You've got to hear their story. It's, it's, it's amazing, okay? So we, we're, we're in awe of, we, we respect people who are, who, who are generous people, and yet it's hard for us to know how generous we really are. We, we, we all need an, an objective standard by which to measure ourselves when it comes to this whole thing of giving. Now, we, we often hear that it's said that Americans are generous. We hear that often. What are we really? Well, there's a book that's been written that actually gives us the hard da- data on generosity, the generosity of Americans. And, I mean, isn't, isn't this a heartwarming title? The Paradox of Generosity Survey of Consumer Finances in 2013, all right? Now, it's based on actual surveys that people completed. And what it shows is that many Americans, by their own admission, don't give any money away and if they do, they give very, very little. They, they have this chart in this book on, on page um, 103, if you want to get the book, and it shows this, that, that 44.8% of Americans give zero away to charity. give less than 2% of their income. And if you go all the way to the bottom, only 2.7% of Americans give 10% of their income. Okay, so, I mean, do your math. Add the top two together, and we see that 86.1% of Americans give less than 2% of their income. And so really what we learn from that is the whole idea that, that America is filled with generous people isn't true. It just isn't true. Now, all this to say, all this to say, I'm no different from anyone else. I need a standard by which to measure my own generosity. It it would be the easiest thing for me to assume that I'm generous when, when it might be that in reality, I'm not. So in the same way that I'm thankful for God's guidance in every other area of my life, I'm thankful that God has given me something to measure myself up against. God's given me guidance in this whole area of giving, the guidance that I need. And what we discover in Scripture, what we discover in Scripture is that giving that is obedient to God begins with the tithe, That begins with the tithe. Giving God the first tenth of every dollar we earn is God's starting point, not ending point, it is God's starting point for giving that's generous. God teaches us this all the way through Scripture. In fact, if you you read through the New Testament, you discover, if anything, God raises the bar higher in the New Testament than he does in the Old Testament. And so what I'd like to do is just take the rest of our time to look at a a few sections, a few verses of Scripture, okay? And since we're in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, this is where we're going to begin, all right? And the first thing we see is the tithing goes all the way back to Abraham, the book of Genesis, and is connected to one of the most significant individuals in Scripture, which is no small deal because the person I'm talking about is Melchizedek, who, who we learn from the New Testament, in the New Testament from the book of Hebrews points to Jesus Christ Himself, And so, what we find out is that the tithe is totally connected to the gospel. It's totally connected to the grace of God. Way before any law was given, way before any command was given in Scripture, it goes all the way back before all of that to the time of Abraham. So, it takes us uh, back to Genesis chapter 14, uh, which is a key chapter in the life of Abraham. But first... uh, a bit of background. Now, if you're with us, or if you read the book of Genesis, you know. If you go back to the 12th chapter, you know that God had had called Abraham uh, to leave his, the land in which he was living, and and to leave the people of that land, and. And, and, and more important than that, to leave behind all of the gods that he had been worshiping his entire life. And this, was, this became a, a defining time in Abraham's life because he did what God asked him to do. And because he did that, it was life-changing for him. Now, if you know the story, you know that uh, Abraham went with his wife Sarah, but he also, his, his nephew Lot, tagged along. Not because he, he had the right motivation to doing it, but Lot realized, you know what? I think I've got something to gain by hanging with Abraham. And so he, he went with Abraham, but it wasn't for the right reasons. And, and when they got to Canaan, Lot made the decision that, you know what? He said, you know, I think I can do better on my own. And so he split with Abraham, and he moved into the city of Sodom. Now, What do we know about Sodom? Hey, were the people, living, the people that lived in the city of Sodom, were they all like really good, righteous people who wanted to follow God? What, what were they? What's the word? Evil, right? Wicked. This was a very wicked place. And so the decision that Lot made was not going to go good for him. It didn't end well at all. In fact, it, almost immediately it began very badly because the city of Sodom is attacked by another king, and, and, and Lot and his family are taken away as captives. Long story short, Abraham goes after this king, defeats him, and rescues Lot, and this brings us to Genesis 14, where we see Abraham meeting with two kings, Bera, the king of Sodom, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Sodom and Salem, two entirely different cities. And it's here that we see Abraham's integrity in two ways. First of all, in his refusal to accept anything from Bera, the king of Sodom, who was very wicked. Abraham didn't want in any way to connect himself with the evil of this city or this king. And, and I mean, really, that's a sermon in itself. It's integrity to the core, right? Now, of equal value, as much an act of integrity... Abraham gave Melchizedek, the king of Salem, a tenth of everything he won in this battle that he had just fought. And so we read this in Genesis chapter 14, beginning at verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was priest of, he was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram. Remember, remember that whole thing about God changing Abram's name? To Abraham, Abram meaning father, and Abram meaning father of many. Remember I said it went like going from being daddy to the big daddy. All right? Okay? So uh, he was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, blessed be Abram by God most high. Don't miss that. God most high, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be, keeps repeating this, Praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then we read this. Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Okay? Just three verses. Don't let the brevity of this passage cause you to miss its significance. See, not only was this a defining moment in Abraham's life, it it gives to us a a window. It really gave Abraham and us a window into the future when God's son will return to this earth. Hey, Here's why. Salem is the ancient city of Jerusalem. I don't know if you know that or not. And Melchizedek, as the king of Salem... And the priest of God points to the coming of God's Son. Jesus Christ, who who first came to this earth to to be our priest, literally to be our priest, by offering himself as a sacrifice for our sin, and who will ultimately return to this earth to be king, to rule over this earth. Huge significance. In this time, Abraham head with Melchizedek because as Abraham receives the bread and the wine that's offered to him he's really doing what we do in communion he's he's accepting it as an act of faith in the God who created him and who will send his son to be his savior see it's in response to this truth don't miss this the truth of who God is and, and God's grace in his own life, that, that Abraham's giving this tithe to, to Melchizedek. He, he's doing this as an act of, of faith in God and an act of loving God and as an act of obedience to God. You really can't afford to miss this. It makes all the difference in your ability to understand the significance of 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 what the tithe, what it, what it's really all about. Giving God the first tenth of every dollar you earn, you recognize that God. You're recognizing that God's giving you the privilege, the privilege of life itself as your Creator, and that God is also giving you the promise of eternal life. It's it's one of the it's one of the most Powerful expressions of your indebtedness to God, your gratitude to God for everything that God's done and continues to do for you. See, everybody, it's not a small deal. It's not a thing that any one of us can walk out of here today and say, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. I'll do this, I'll do that, but I don't think I'm going to do that. It's not an option for us. It's a huge deal with God that we do this. And because because at its core, it's a test of whether or not we really love God. Do we love our money or do we love the God who created us and redeemed us? This is why in the final verses of Leviticus, as God brings it all to a conclusion, God said to the people of Israel that their tithe is holy to him. Holy to him. Boy, if it's holy to God, it's not a small deal. And 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 really, what God is, it, it, it's God's way of saying that it's sacred to him, that it belongs to him, that it's his. And it's why, in the very last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, God said that for the Israelites not to do this and And this really applies to all of us. It's nothing short of robbing God. And so here's what God said. He said, will a mere mortal rob God? Great question, isn't it? I mean, if you're going to steal from anybody, don't steal from God is what he's saying. He said, and yet you rob me. But you ask how are we robbing you? How are we doing it, God? And then God said, in your tithes and offerings, you're, you're under a curse. Your whole nation because you're robbing me. And then God said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Honestly, everybody, when I hear God saying that we're robbing him when we don't give him our tithe, and, and when, I, when I hear God say that he's going to bless us, he's just going to bless our socks off if we do, I've never understood. I've never understood why anyone would choose to disobey God in, in this area of their life. I mean, this, this really is not something to play around with. If, if you're not giving God the first tenth of everything you earn, You're robbing from God, and I got to tell you, you're the one person who's losing the most because you're missing out on God's blessing. Now, right now, you might be thinking, but Steve, listen, listen, Steve, I can't afford to tithe, and I just got to tell you, you can't afford not to tithe. And you might be saying, but Steve, you don't know my, I'm in a financial mess right now. You don't know my situation. I'll say, yeah, I don't know it, but God does. God's saying to you, trust me with this. And through the years, I've also had people say to me, and you, you might be thinking this right now. I've had people say, Steve, this is the Old Testament. I live by the New Testament. And I got to be honest with you, every time someone says that to me, it's like, oh boy, this is going to be fun. Okay? Because you know why? Because the New Testament raises the bar even higher than the Old Testament. You know, the only time when Jesus pointed to the example of someone who gave with generosity... It was was in a conversation that he had with his disciples as they were outside the temple and they were watching people bringing their offerings and dropping them into the temple treasury. And there were all of these wealthy people doing it. And then this this widow came, very poor woman, and she put only, only two mites in, just two copper coins, which is worth about two cents. And Jesus said this to his disciples. This poor widow has given more than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but out of her poverty, she gave everything she had. Everything. Listen, everybody. Giving God the first tenth of every dollar we earn should be our starting point. It's our starting point. It's not meant to be our end point. It's our starting point. You know, I I wonder if the uh, uh, disciples told the apostles, Apostle Paul about their conversation with Jesus because here's what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Paul, Paul was collecting an offering for the believers in Jerusalem because there was famine in that area of the land and, and they were under extreme persecution and so they were desperate. And so Paul traveled from one church to another to collect, in fact, to collect money from all these believers for the believers in Jerusalem. And he, and he said this He said, Now, brothers and sisters, <clears throat> we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And so he he looks to them as an example for the Corinthians. He said, in the midst of a very severe trial. So they're they're going through a severe trial themselves. They're overflowing joy. And then I love this. Their extreme poverty, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Powerful. He said, for I testify that they gave us much as they were able. And then look at this statement. And even beyond their own ability, where they had to step out of themselves and totally trust in God, entirely on their own. He said, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, you know? Um, And then he writes, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. And that leads Paul to give this challenge to the Corinthians. He goes on and he says, you know, since you excel in everything, in your faith and in your speech and your knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Excel. He said, I'm not commanding you. I love how he says, I'm not, command, I'm not telling you. But he said, I want to test the sincerity of your love. He said, I want, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So let, let, let's just put all of this together, okay? A few thoughts as I close, okay? <clears> okay. <throat> Here's what I've learned. 35 years with Brookside and five years in Wisconsin. The first one. Okay? I think it's, yeah. A key test of your love for God, okay? I mean, it really is. It's what you give back to God from everything God's given you. Okay? It really is. Like Paul said, this is why he said, he said, I want to test the sincerity of your love the sincerity of your love, okay? And then this, what, what you give back to God reveals your understanding of who God is and how much you trust God. It goes all the way back to that, uh, that time Abraham had with Melchizedek. Abraham believed what Melchizedek said about God, that God is the creator of heaven and earth. I mean, isn't it true? If you and I really grasp the fact that our God our God who gives us his promises. This is the God who created the universe. Yeah, that God. How about this one? This is my next one. You have everything to gain and nothing to lose. Not only because God promises to provide for you so that you can keep on giving, God says I'm going to bless you not only because of that but also because of all the joy and fulfillment that comes with generous giving. I mean Jesus himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And all the studies prove him that he's right. All the studies show that money and what money can do for us has a limit in how much joy it can give us. I mean we, we hear the story all the time don't we of people who have millions of dollars but they're just empty, and their life is sad, and they're sad, and, you know, they, they just have no purpose, you know. <laughs> what makes life flourish is when you're generous. I got to tell you, you got to listen to that. You got to go on and watch that couple talk, because you know what they did? They, he, re- this couple retired, and you got, you can watch the story, but they retired, and he, and he, he was going to buy a million-dollar boat, and then he heard a sermon by his pastor on, on generosity, and what they decided to do instead was to invest that million dollars on, on children living in a very poor part of that city, and, and so they're going to track with them from when they're kindergarten, and he's going to put them all the, way through, all the way through college, and I mean, they just cried as they told what this meant to them, but you've got to Google it yourself. Okay? Here's the next one. Number, last, uh, do what it takes to put yourself in a, <clears throat> a sound financial position. I got, I got to tell you a funny story with this one. At least I thought it was funny. Uh, so a number of years ago, I did a sermon on giving where I included talking about tithing. And um, after I got done preaching that sermon, I got a, a, an immediate and very angry reaction to to what I I had just said. In fact, I remember it so vividly, I remember where the couple was sitting. I mean, they were right up there, right after I finished talking, to kind of just set me straight. And it wasn't because uh, they didn't agree with tithing. They believed in it very strongly. It was because I had made the statement and, and I did it because thinking of somebody who was having trouble trusting God or, or they were in a tough position financially, I said, you know what? This is something that you could gradually begin to do. like, like one, Increase it like 1% at a time. And that just ticked them off that I said that. And so they, they said to me, tell us, Steve. Well, it was a fun conversation in a way. Okay, they, they said, tell me, Steve. You know, when you preach on other things that God tells us to do in the Bible, Do you tell us just to do it gradually? For example, they said, so let's say uh, you you do a sermon on telling the truth. Do you ever say to somebody, if somebody comes up to you and and says, man, I just really struggle with telling the truth, do you ever say to them, well, then just gradually start telling the truth. I mean, they had me. There's nothing I could say, you know. So so ever since that time, I've adjusted the way I say this. Okay, so let me say this. If for you it's an issue of trusting God, I can understand that. But be honest with yourself, okay? I mean, be really honest. Don't take forever learning to trust God. Don't stay at that 1% that you start giving, you know, that you, or you increase it by. Don't stay at that for a year and then move it up. I mean, i mean, I got to be honest. It doesn't take a year to learn to trust God. Increase it 1% a month. I just got to say, I mean, this could be my last sermon on giving, okay? So I can, I'm just going to say whatever I feel, all right? Okay. Because I believe this. And if it's an issue of you being in a tough position financially, do what it takes to get yourself in a solid position. I'm going to tell you, after all my years of working with people, it is it is, it is the exception that somebody gets in a tough position financially because of something outside of themselves, and the illness or whatever it else. Much more of the time, it's because they haven't been handling the money the way they should handle it. And I would just say, get it fixed. And that's why I believe something like financial peace is such a good thing for everybody to take if you've never done that. It helps you understand, really, to be very, how to be very wise in your use of money. And I, I believe it for years, the 10-10-80 rule. If you've ever heard that, give 10 away, save 10, and live on the 80% that's left. You know, Becky and I grew up seeing our parents trust God and tithe, and we both grew up in, on really relatively poor homes, okay, small farms. And my mom, with with her physical disability, I mean, my parents had challenges financially that, that most people didn't ever have to deal with. But my mom and dad never compromised on this thing. And I am so grateful to them for that. And Becky's mom and dad were exactly the same way. And I can tell you my parents would tell you, Becky's parents would tell you. Beck, in fact, if I could get Becky's mom up here today, her 90-year-old mom, she'd look at you and she'd say, trust God. God will be faithful to you. He'll never let you down. And I have found that to be true in my life, and so has Becky. I started doing this when I was in high school. Man, bailed hay for other farmers, and I gave my first you know, 10% of what I earned to God, and I'll never regret it, and Becky will never regret it. Hey. And then this one. We've got to be practical sometimes, right? So this is just a practical idea. If you're, if you're having trouble, trouble with being disciplined, here's a great way of doing it. Use online giving as a way to build a discipline of giving into your life. Because, I mean, let's face it, right? Life can be very chaotic, and what's tempting to do is wait until the end of the month to see what money's left. And that's really the very opposite of what God says we should do because God says we should give him the first tenth of everything that we earn. And so if you're sitting here and you're going, man, I'm just not a very disciplined person, use online giving because it's a, it's a simple thing to do. And then once you've done it, you've, you have this conversation with God. And God speaks to you and says, this is what I want you to do and you obey God, then you can just put that down and it can be repeated. You don't ever have to worry about it. It's just taking care of for you. Okay? All right. (laughs) Um, Everybody, everything that I've said this morning, I've said because I love you. I care for you. That's why. And I I know this is, I know that this is a core issue for all of us. Whatever our age, the younger we can deal with it and get it the way it should be, the better off we'll be. Now, that's why I'm saying this. It makes all the difference in your spiritual growth. It makes, I mean, it, it, it strengthens your love for God. It strengthens your faith in God. And the wonderful thing of, about it all is that it, it, and you're, the, you're the winner. Because <laughs> it gives you so much joy, so much fulfillment by being generous. Being generous. Well, thanks, everybody. Let's, uh, let's stand and, and I'll pray and then we'll worship. Okay? All right. Let's pray. Father, I'm just going to ask you this. I ask that your Holy Spirit will bring conviction to every one of us in this room if we are disobedient to you in this area of our lives. God, just impress on us that this is not something to fool around with, that it is a core issue of who we are and how much we love you. And then, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will strengthen us with your power. Give us the ability to trust you, to have faith in you, to see you for who you really are. And, Father, just yield this part of our life to you. For your glory, in Christ's name, amen.